1965, when I was a senior in high school, a big flap was making national news. It was one of the few times that I ever paid attention to the UFO thing. One day, Mother and I were listening to the TV while doing something in the kitchen. Walter Cronkite was talking about the UFO flap. And for the umpteenth time in as many years, the Air Force, called before a congressional committee, said it was hiding nothing. I told Mother that if a UFO landed in the backyard, I probably would go get on it. My mother, who was extremely gentle, and who never raised her voice or hit me, stopped what she was doing, grabbed me by both shoulders, and shook me until I felt as if my teeth would fall out. All the while, she was saying forcefully, You swear to me, you will not ever, ever, ever get near one. Don't you dare ever say that. It was the only outburst I ever known my mother to have in my entire life. I now know, from research, that extreme responses like that to this phenomenon are often indicators that a person has had experiences. Dr. Carla Turner 1995 Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson. As the series slowly sputters out, we shift our focus to a researcher slash investigator who became wrapped up in the abduction mythos due to the work of Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs and to Whitley Strieber. Carla Turner's story is a cautionary tale of how anyone from any background can become embroiled in these stories and find themselves in the center of them. The story gets deeply disturbing at times, and there are content warnings here for sexual abuse. Uh, that definitely plays a part into this, but um, this story is dark in ways that I didn't expect. So um, just just keep that in mind as you listen. Or maybe skip this one. I wouldn't blame you if you did. In the spring of 1988, Dr. Carla Turner, an English instructor at the University of North Texas, unexpectedly asked her class to objectively evaluate evidence on Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, or UFOs. Despite describing herself as open-minded, she had limited interest in the paranormal. Carla believed that examining the evidence from an academic perspective would result in weak and inconclusive findings. She admitted that she had only looked at the evidence with a passing curiosity before assigning her students to evaluate it. Little did she know, this assignment would shatter her world and lead to her becoming one of the most tragic figures in the field of ufology. She fell victim to tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy theorists, charlatans, and misguided crusaders for the truth, who were, uh, who were oblivious or indifferent to the harm they caused to many others like her. After reading a few research papers and becoming familiar with some titles available on these subjects, she bought one she had seen for months at the mall bookstore, Whitley Strieber's Communion. She read the book skeptically, but was intrigued by Strieber's bizarre, 
frightening and emotional encounters with strange beings from another world. So in late April, she let her son, David, borrow the book. Then, looking for something to read on a trip, she remembered the name Bud Hopkins from Communion and bought Missing Time. Carla had a very strong reaction to it. Quote, I wondered how on earth could Hopkins and Strieber get away with claims that their books were factual since the material, alien beings, small and gray, clone-like in their actions, was so obviously impossible. I also remember how glad I was that these stories were not true. How, I wondered, could you live in a world where these things could happen? Despite living happily with her husband, Elton, a computer consultant and former military intelligence, the couple sought individual counseling sessions to uncover the root of their stress, which was manifesting in physical symptoms. For Carla, the symptoms manifested as a painful tightening of her teeth and jaw. And for Elton, who was usually a calm person, bouts of anger, headaches, back pains, and vision loss. Carla's counselor, Dr. Riley, a pseudonym, taught her a relaxation technique similar to self-hypnosis to help her find the cause of her stress. She also kept a dream journal as part of her therapy. Three unusual dreams from that period were particularly vivid in her memory, one in which Elton was sitting in a circular room with vampires clad in black, another where a caged doll came to life and blamed her for leaving her, and lastly, one where she witnessed a UFO land somewhere in Canada and explode right before her eyes, having a strong feeling that the government was behind it. Before we continue on, it's important to note how impressive Dr. Turner's credentials are, but we should also note that she was not a licensed clinical professional, similar to Bud Hopkins and David Jacobs. She had a PhD and a BA in English and an MA in American Studies. So, yes, she was a doctor. No, she shouldn't have been doing hypnosis on anybody. Upon returning from her trip, Carla found Elton in agony. His back was acting up again. She decided to show him the relaxation technique her counselor taught her. And to her surprise, despite it being her first time putting anyone other than herself under a trance, she succeeded. She imitated her therapist and made him look back over his life to see if any particular event or person stood out and find the cause behind the stress. Instead, they unearthed a disturbing childhood memory. When he was two years old, driving home in the middle of a storm with his father, the car suddenly became engulfed in a bright light. His father was at the wheel, utterly immobile, as if he were frozen. He remembered a long gray wall marked with strange symbols and a frightening wrinkled grayish-white face with two round black eyes. The vision was so perturbing that it caused Elton to jump off the couch in fright. The phone rang. Carla calmed her husband down and picked it up. The voice on the other end of the line was so thin and erratic and rapid that she couldn't make out what it was saying. Quote, the talking didn't sound as if it came from a machine, but it was nothing like a human voice either. End quote. She listened for about 20 seconds and kept repeating, hello? Then the voice abruptly stopped. All she could hear was a faint static background noise. Elton described the being as old 
wrinkled and putty-like and remembered a huge craft emitting an orange light. Carla made him draw the being, which terrified her upon seeing it. She couldn't stand being in the same room with it and couldn't understand why. The following day, skeptical that aliens abducted her husband, she contacted her therapist and requested that he speak with him and provide a logical explanation for his experience. The therapist declined and instead wanted to address her fears. Despite her repeated pleas, the therapist lost his patience and reminded her that she was the one who needed help. He concluded by stating, Whatever your husband recalled, it certainly wasn't flying saucers and little green men. Unable to find a hypnotist willing to help, she decided to take matters into her own hands and do it herself. Two days later, she put Elton in a trance again, and they picked up where they had left off. Elton remembered seeing another being that night, bald, human-colored with a bulbous head like a dolphin. Carla attempted to gather more details, but Elton struggled to concentrate on his mental vision because he felt, quote, he was not supposed to. As a result, he continually shifted his attention between various events. Still, Carla managed to direct him to concentrate on the current matter. He recalled a bright light coming down and a group of four little gray beings carrying him to a small saucer-shaped craft resting on the side of the road. The beings then brought him inside a larger orange craft, where he met the Old One, the being he had drawn two days earlier. Quote, he has the darkest eyes, Elton continued. Like he knows all, sees so much, knows so much, and he doesn't care, end quote. The beings placed a metallic teardrop-shaped object on his stomach, and the next thing he remembered was being returned to the car, where his father was waiting, clutching at the wheel. Carla emphasized that Elton had not read Communion at the time of his regression. Later that week, new memories of strange encounters resurfaced. One in particular where, in 1971, when his son from a previous marriage was two, there were poltergeist activities in their house and an earthquake that only Elton experienced. His son began talking about a mysterious black man who appeared through his bedroom walls. They both felt like they needed the help of a UFO expert, so they found a listing of UFO organizations in Hopkins' book, reached out to a local chapter affiliate with MUFON, and scheduled a meeting in the summer. A few nights later, Carla had her own strange experience. Throughout the night, she woke up to odd noises in the house, like bumps and clicks. She was certain that someone was in the room, but she was too scared to open her eyes. Then she heard multiple voices in the corner of the bedroom speaking in unison. This is Eliomi, the longing that you've asked for. Frightened, she clung to Elton's arm, and the voices stopped. Meanwhile, Elton uncovered the following odd memories from his past. When he was a teenager, a strange-looking woman with dark eyes and wispy white hair came into his room in the middle of the night and sexually assaulted him. While parking with his fiancée, he experienced missing time after hearing heavy footsteps approaching their car. And recently, he saw a spherical object in the sky and believed it was connected to a scar he discovered on his leg a few days later. The day of the meeting, nervous and uneasy, 
The Turners made a 40-mile trip from their home to the city. New to the topic of UFOs, Carla struggled to fully understand some of the questions being asked of her. Finally, the Turners opened up to the UFO research group. Carla shared a few odd things in her life, which she thought were uh, irrelevant, as Elton was the one who seemed to be involved in this UFO business. However, to her surprise, she seemed they seemed more interested in her and, and insisted that she share any unusual events or strange recurrent dreams she might have had. Carla recounted a recurring childhood nightmare in which she held hands with a tall, insect-like creature who claimed to be her mother. She also shared a memorable experience from 1980 that she believed to be a genuine vision. She observed four figures standing in a line under a tree. She describes them as being about her height, about five feet tall, with the appearance of featureless gray shadows. Yet, despite their frightening looks, the figures were surprisingly friendly and warm. They revealed themselves to be her ancestors and announced that all their memories and wisdom were within her body. Carla remembers joking about her poor cooking skills, wishing one of her ancestors could share their culinary expertise. She led her new friends inside the house into the kitchen, and while two of them helped her prepare dinner, the other two stood behind her and spoke rapidly to an unidentified part of her mind. Unable to understand, one of her otherworldly sous chefs informed her that she was being given specific instructions. She deduced that the entire experience lasted 40 minutes, after which she realized that the ancestors had left. When Elton and David came home that night, she excitedly shared her bizarre vision with them, after which Elton remarked that she seemed to recall very little detail about those 40 minutes. The Turners asked to be put in touch with a knowledgeable hypnotherapist, but unfortunately, no one in the UFO group could come up with a name. So they left, disappointed, and once they got home, Elton revealed that they had been followed for about 20 miles by a white Chevy. They got a call from the group about a week later. One of the speakers at MUFON's next event was a hypnotist and a UFO researcher. Conveniently, Elton's parents came to visit, and Carla interrogated her father-in-law about the fateful car trip. He recalled coming home late because a group of people who came out of the woods had to clear a tree from the road. The confirmation that something odd did happen that day hit the Turners pretty hard. They couldn't accept the existence of flying saucers and little gray men. However, they were more anxious than ever to meet the researcher, Barbara Batholic, a former model-turned-UFO investigator who previously worked with Jacques Vallée on a couple of cattle mutilation cases and abductee herself and uh, allegedly a consultant on Steven Spielberg's 1977 classic, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. At the MUFON meeting, the Turners introduced themselves to Barbara, and immediately they cl just clicked. Carla was impressed with Barbara's humility, knowledge, and sense of humor. However, when Bartholik began discussing alien crossbreeding alien crossbreeding programs, it greatly perturbed Carla. I mean, who wouldn't be perturbed by that? So, they arranged a session and left late at night. 
At approximately 2 a.m., Elton noticed that they were being followed by a white car again. As a result, the Turners began to withdraw from their close friends. During his initial meeting with Barbara, Elton revisited a hazy recollection of being in a school-like setting with sort of gray beings. He sensed that he was there to learn, yet also that he was the one instructing the beings, quote, something is being learned from me, and at the same time, I'm being given feelings that are much bigger than I am, that go well beyond, go far beyond me, end quote. Barbara asked him if he had seen the old one before. Elton recounted the abduction experience he had when he was two. He described being taken by tiny figures that felt skinny under the fabric of their uniforms. He felt like he was being held by somebody that didn't know how to hold people. Barbara prompted Elton to explore further and asked if he had encountered the old one or any other shorter beings before this abduction experience. Elton recounted seeing himself as a ball of golden light, watching as he was created by the small beings he referred to as the workers. He described watching them push red and white patterns interconnected with a series of lines around their fingers. Quote, I wanted to be solid and feel the outside world and let it affect me, and so I made the decision to be born. End quote. He said in agreement of sort was made with the old one who described him as an instrument or vessel that contains wisdom art mind knowledge and experience quote he knows the future and knows its past and it's sad and not sad and happy and not happy end quote then barbara prompted him to revisit the night he saw the spherical craft The experience was much more sinister than previous ones. He recalled entering a beam of light, feeling furious and lying on his back, naked, in a small, damp, and smelly room, where beings lifted his leg and cut him. He stated, It sounds unbelievable, but it seems that they have pieces of us so that they can stay alive. Elton continued to recall other past experiences, including the teenage experience where he was abducted and sexually assaulted by a woman with white hair. Quote, It just seemed like they bothered me. Bothered. Busied themselves by keeping track of me for such a long time. End quote. He similarly recalled the time he was abducted while parking with his fiancée. Carla was present the entire time for this. She recalled... I was shaking, unable to hold up a cup or even a cigarette. The shaking was so intense. I had an irrational desire for Elton to suddenly burst out laughing, to deny that he'd been telling the truth, but it wasn't going to happen that way, and I knew it. Frightened and agitated, the Turners refused to stay alone in their house and accompanied Jack, the counselor visiting Barbara that weekend, to the guest house across the street. An hour later, around 3 a.m., Carla felt compelled to go outside and could not resist. The trio went outside and, a few minutes later, witnessed a bright flashing light in the sky. They watched in horror as the light started zigzagging, changing color and shape. It turned into a pie-pan-shaped craft with a row of red, white, and green lights and grew larger and closer to them. Panicked, they ran inside the house 
The sighting deeply affected them. Jack recalls, quote, I thought I had it all figured out. I mean, I thought I knew what life was all about. And all those things I've studied. I even thought I knew what to expect after death. But now, I don't think I know anything. End quote. After regaining their composure, the group headed to bed. Elton drifted away eventually, exhausted by his hypnotic regression. As for Carla, it was going to be a long time before she enjoyed a peaceful night of sleep again. In the months following the fearful night of their UFO sighting, the Turners found themselves inexplicably compelled to spend a lot of time outside at night. They'd walk up the hill near their house where the spherical craft abducted Elton in the winter and watch the skies hoping for another contact. To overcome her fear of seeing an alien in the house, she began training by preparing herself mentally to see one staring back at her every time she opened a door. This is... Wow. Like, the story is going to get a lot worse from here, people. Like, we've barely touched the surface. So if you're strapping in, just uh, prepare yourselves. About two weeks later... Carla had another experience. One night, tossing and turning, she suddenly heard unusual sounds in the house, including a distinct knock and a voice saying a word she couldn't make out, starting with the letter K. She was too frightened to open her eyes, much less to get up and look around. In the morning, Carla was baffled to find their TV on with the sound muted. She and Elton were confident the TV was off when they went to bed. They phoned Barbara, who urged them to check their bodies for strange marks or scars. Carla found two puncture wounds on her left wrist and three solid white circles, forming a perfect equilateral triangle on her lower left abdomen. The puncture marks looked like two hypodermic needles could have, been, could have made them. They looked fresh, but there was no sensation of pain associated with them. Carla was clueless as to what could have caused these marks. Barbara quickly explained that it was common for people who have experienced an abduction to wake up with these. Carla was mortified. Throughout the summer, Carla raided bookstores and libraries and read every book she could find on the subject of alien abduction. August 1988 the Turners received a flyer for an upcoming MUFON meeting with a guest they had never heard of, John Lear. John Lear, son of Learjet founder Bill Lear, was a former pilot who did missions for the CIA during the Vietnam War and later became a prominent conspiracy theorist after reading Bud Hopkins' Missing Time. He believed that the movie Stargate was factual and that the actual purpose of the Iraq War was to seize ancient portals to other planets constructed by aliens. Lear also claimed that the dark side of the moon concealed a giant soul-recycling machine operated by the Greys. And, you know, this is kind of in line with Whitley Strieber and his stuff because he kind of believed the same thing. He sadly passed away in 2022 in his tinfoil hat. As of February 2023, there is no information on the status of his soul and if it has been recycled or transformed into compost by the greys. We are still waiting for word. Their son David 
skeptical but interested in the phenomenon, and his roommate James decided to tag along. They listened in disbelief to Lear's lecture about crossbreeding experiments and secret deals between the U.S. government and extraterrestrials. He claimed, quote, I'm not here to warn you about an invasion. The invasion is over. It's already happened, end quote. Carla noticed James was acting weird. As soon as the lecture ended, he just kind of ran out the room like he was Napoleon Dynamite. At least I can't get that image out of my head. Thanks a lot, Jeff. Shortly after, Carla opened up to her best friend, Monty, about Elton's hypnotic regression sessions and the strange memories they brought back. When asked what kind of memories, Carla showed Elton's drawings uh, of the old one, which caused Bonnie to jump out of her chair and start sobbing uncontrollably and exclaim, I didn't think anyone else knew. Where the story is going to go is that seemingly everybody that Carla comes into contact with has an abduction experience. It's unavoidable. Every single one. I've never seen anything like this before. But... Later that week, David called Carla and informed her that James had told him he had been visited by strange beings all his life. As a child, he'd seen a skinny man dressed in black examining stuff around the house. Whenever James would rush to his parents' bedroom and tell them there was a prowler in the place, they'd tell him not to worry about it and go back to bed. He was also visited by a small creature he called Mr. Green Jeans because of the green glow he emitted. Mr. Green Jeans would walk up to the side of his bed and tell him not to be afraid. James was always paralyzed when this occurred and could never remember what he and Mr. Green Jeans talked about. In later years, another being began showing up, a featureless creature that would also appear in his room to speak to him. More recently, he had been seeing a woman in the farmhouse he and David shared. She appeared in his room to inform him about her plans to replace his eyes and other body parts with black orbs and other objects. He objected strongly, but she insisted that he could still see, just in a different way. She revisited him on the day of the lecture, but he could not be convinced to be turned into the six million dollar man. James told Carla that the woman claimed to be part of a group of benevolent interdimensional beings and that there was another group of evil beings who were not interdimensional and did not care about human feelings or rights. These beings caused harm to humans and viewed us as insignificant insects. She also told him that the crystals commonly used by New Age enthusiasts make it easier for these interdimensional beings to locate us. What do you need an implant for when you got the crystals, folks? David's girlfriend, Megan, got added to the extensive list of individuals in the Turner's social circle who had strange experience. Megan told Carla she was at the bar the night James opened up to David about his encounters. When James started talking about the woman, David interrupted him and provided a detailed description of her, including her clothing. Additionally, she described how David's behavior changed back at the farm that night. First, his voice and eyes changed. Next, he dragged her out of the car into the backyard, repeating, Something out there wants to see you. 
Finally, he changed back to normal when James's car pulled into the driveway. David had no recollection of any of this. Megan recounted an experience where she woke up from a nap to find a gray monkey outside her kitchen window, bobbing up and down. She also shared a childhood memory of waking up in her sister's bed to see a slideshow of two spaceships colliding above the moon, causing it to explode with white stuff falling to Earth. In the slideshow, people ran to the strange goo and ate it. Carla Turner collected abductees like they were Pokemon. Everyone she talked to seemed to have some kind of abduction experience. During one experience, James revealed that he had a special set of tasks to accomplish within the next five years. He was then shown images of the Turners and people he knew and was told that they would all be moved to other bodies. Then, he found himself sitting on the front porch of his relative's house with no memory of how he got there. Shortly after, David began having odd nightmares involving UFOs and aliens. In one particular dream, a being that appeared to be coming from a UFO declared that the time had come for the human diaspora. On August 11th, 1988, a weird sensation quickly built up in David's head as he drifted off to sleep. According to him, he felt like he was ready to, quote, leave his body through his head, end quote. Then he heard a loud electric buzz and felt a pressure inside his skull, followed by a painless feeling of inflation, as though a cylinder of energy entered the top of his skull, reaching about halfway down into his head. At the end of August, the Turners got a phone call from a man named Fred, who had been referred to them by a UFO group because they were the only people they knew going through similar experiences. Fred shared a couple of odd stories with Carla, one dating back from 1973, when he and two relatives witnessed a craft turn into a gigantic bearded man wearing a belted robe with his arms outstretched. More recently, he woke up covered with inexplicable bruises on his back. Having just finished reading Communion, he felt he had learned enough about hypnosis from the book to try it out. Carla eventually began to question the reality of the situation and entertain the possibility that this was all the product of paranoia, contagion. Yet increasingly grew more obsessed with abduction phenomenon literature. Unable to explain why anyone she had ever come into contact with ended up being abducted by aliens, she deduced that something was going on and traced the roots of her bizarre chain of events back to the class project she assigned on unusual phenomena. She then wondered where the inspiration for the project had come from and decided to undergo hypnosis to investigate further. In September 1988, with the help of Barbara, Carla uncovered memories of a possible abduction that occurred years prior. Driving home from her parents' house, she saw a gigantic black cloud descend and engulf her car on the highway, causing her to be transported to a pitch-black room. After some time, Carla found herself in a different room with a soft pink glow, paralyzed. She remembered experiencing a burning sensation, a painful pulling in her ear, and a lot of movement around her. At the same time, she acquired a book called The Goblin Universe by Ted Holliday and Colin Wilson. In it, she read a section about Gaelic mythology, 
that reminded her of a prior experience where she heard a disembodied voice talking to her in what she believed was Gaelic in her room one night. The passage discussed the Elalon, which were described as miniature elves or nature elementals, whose illusions and paranormal pranks were a fundamental aspect of UFO mythology. Around that time, James experienced an episode of Missing Time. One night around midnight, he picked up food from Whataburger and became very upset when, at home, he had not only found out that his fries were cold, but it was also 2.30 a.m., indicating that he lost about eh, two hours of time. Later, the couch started hopping up and down while he was sitting on it. He looked under it and even went outside and peeked under the house, but couldn't find anything that explained the strange incident. James also confided in David that more memories of his conversations with the woman had resurfaced. Quote, they were nine-dimensional, and for them, the tenth dimension was like time to us. End quote. He also noted that the woman had recently been switching between I and we when referring to herself and warned him about the greys. Carla was so perturbed by what James told her that she decided to spend the weekend at the farmhouse to watch over them. On the first night, Megan reported experiencing phenomena associated with hauntings, footsteps, strange noises, and doors opening and closing by themselves. She also witnessed strange lights behind the trees by the front yard and felt a blast of cold air, like, quote, the vents of air that surprise you in a funhouse, end quote, which caused her to faint. That weekend, James had yet another visit from his alien lady friend. This time, he unleashed on her and expressed his frustration. To calm him down, she made him lay on his bed, and three balls of light about the size of basketballs whooshed in through the window and whizzed around the room. A voice came from the balls and told him, Listen to her. Believe it. You're not ready. Carla also had an experience of her own that weekend. She woke up in the middle of the night, paralyzed to her bed shaking. She prayed to God and repeated the prayer several times until the shaking stopped. Then, three women came into the room and told her, You did the right thing. You passed the test. She woke up the next day feeling completely exhausted and got a call from George Andrews, a researcher working with Barbara on a book. He told her that his daughter had just been involved in a mysterious car wreck that left her seriously injured. The news frightened Carla because, days earlier, Barbara's daughter-in-law was also involved in a mysterious car wreck, and Barbara had been warned by two different psychics. Interestingly, Barbara and her husband, Bob, were involved in a carjacking crash in November 2009. Bob died of, from his injuries days later, Barbara died of a stroke a year later. Carla was ready to forget about UFOs and kind of just move on with her life. Quote, They had been warned, and now their children were suffering. What's next, I wondered, scared by the thought that these beings might deliberately be hurting people and afraid of what I might have brought on to my own family by exploring this phenomenon myself. I was filled with the idea that the best thing I could do was get absolutely out of the entire UFO situation. No more books or journals or notes or tapes or contact with anyone involved in this thing. 
At no time before or since have I felt such fear blinding my logic and leaving me to react instinctively and protectively. We were in a nightmare world, hopeless, end quote. People keep coming to Carla and sharing their experiences with her. And th this is all confirming for her. This feeds into everything, everything that's going on. James shared with Carla a strange dream where he envisioned himself as a three-year-old sitting among other children and being told a tale by an older version of himself about a prince joining forces with sorcerers and wizards to thwart an evil prince. The moral of the story, defeating evil requires the support of friends, as one person cannot conquer it alone. However, by coming together, our combined strength can be powerful enough to triumph. Deeply affected by the fable, Carla believed it was some kind of message from the good aliens instructing her that with the love and support of her family and friends, she'd be able to foil the Grey's dastardly plans. In October, the Turner family began regularly waking up with puncture wounds, marks and scratches, as well as dried blood on their pillows. James was having a rough go, claiming that the Greys were showing up to hold back man's evolution. Full-on paranoia had basically kicked in. November brought more strange phone calls. One call had a strange voice that said, Hello? Followed by far-off static. And another had a pre-recorded voice repeating, Please hang on and dial again. Around that time, she learned about a concerning rumor making the rounds in the UFO community. A public speaker had supposedly confided in a MUFON member that the Air Force was greatly concerned about a large unidentified radioactive object in space heading for Earth. When others had tracked down the source of the rumor, it led to an unnamed retired Air Force officer who kept in touch with his friends still in the service. According to the rumor, the military thought it was an alien battle station being prepped for an upcoming invasion. Carlo's paranoia and interest in conspiracy theories dramatically increased at the time. She came to the conclusion that aliens, like humans, are capable of deceit. Her own investigations revealed conflicting information from various abductees, leading her to believe that there were too many inconsistencies for all the information to be true. Disturbed by strange noises in the night and increasing episodes of missing time, the Turners observed a rise in helicopter activity near their home, with some flying so low that they caused the house to shake. Sandy, Elton's mother, also reported seeing helicopters flying over their house, and furthermore, around that time, Elton had a vivid dream that felt too real in which a white pickup truck with helicopter sounds emerged from a portal in the sky, followed by clones of himself before he fell down a narrow tunnel to an underground Old West saloon where David and a friend were waiting for him to play poker. Armed with more knowledge of UFOs and more personal experiences under her belt, Carla decided to challenge her therapist, who had previously declined to treat Elton. During their meeting, Carla immediately bombarded him with questions. Why didn't you believe Elton? How do you know his memories aren't real? Do you know anything about UFOs? 
the therapist with the shitting grin revealed that it was a personal bias and did not believe in UFOs. He suggested that Elton probably had repressed memories of sexual abuse, which Carla declined very strongly. Upon mentioning the mysterious markings on their body, he grabbed her hand, warned her not to bring it up again, as others might assume she had been self-harming. When writing her first book, she reached out to the therapist once more to request to use his real name in her account. After reviewing their previous discussions, the therapist declined and asked not to be named. Quote, it's awfully embarrassing, professionally embarrassing, for anyone to know I said those things. I wouldn't have responded to you that way now, believe me. So don't use my real name. Just refer to me as the stupid therapist or give me a pseudonym, end quote. In mid-December of 1988, Carla received a surprising phone call from her sister-in-law, Tanya, which is also a pseudonym, who she hadn't spoke to in over two years. She called to inform Carla that she had eavesdropped on a conversation between Carla's brother, Paul, another pseudonym, and father about Carla's experiences and wanted her to know that she and Carla's brother had had similar experiences. Again, so many people just feeding into the paranoia. After the holidays passed without any noticeable activity, the Turners wanted to continue sessions with Barbara, but she was not available and feeling confident in their understanding of hypnotic regression, they decided to conduct the sessions on their own. Under hypnosis, Elton recalled a recent incident where he was awakened in the middle of the night by a light at the foot of the bed and a clawed, webbed hand grabbing his ankles. Later that week, he woke one morning with a strange red triangular rash on the left side of his body. David and Megan visited and said they felt uneasy staying at the farmhouse alone. Megan revealed that David had been leaving the house naked in the middle of the night and returning to bed with no memory of his whereabouts. Roger, a local researcher, suggested they get, a phys that they get physical evidence of those nocturnal visits and set up a sound-activated recorder in the Turner's room. Over the following week, they captured several interesting sounds they couldn't explain. One of them, which Carla described as sounding like a, quote, giant hairspray can emitted short mechanical inhalations, end quote, was especially intriguing. They brought the recording to a sound studio technician for examination, and he left, and he was left perplexed. Barbara put Elton under regression and early February. He recalled an incident where he was awakened by several reptilian-looking aliens attempting to flip him face down on the bed, which caused claw marks from their strong grip. They placed a rectangular object with two light pens at each end of his back. He believed that the purpose of the procedure was to examine his biological system. Later, Barbara assisted Carla in revisiting a Halloween night experience through hypnosis Carla remembered being woken up in the middle of the night by four short, bald entities around her bed. According to Carla, They look like ghosts. They look so hollow. They don't have any real feelings. That's why they are so scary. They just look dead, but they're not. They don't even look mean. 
they're really hardly there. The entities removed the covers from her and placed a small saucer-shaped object on her neck, causing her to cry out in pain. Finally, they ran a scanning device over her legs and stomach. In all of this, James seemed to be as greatly affected as the Turners by what he was reporting. In March of 1989, James began experiencing a recurring dream in which he was lying on a table with various tubes attached to his body and arms, and a large screen-like mirror above him that showed a thick blue plastic washer with a hole in the center affixed to his forehead. James began experiencing frightening dreams where he saw friends and family members passing away in terrifying ways, causing him to fear going to sleep. Dreams play a huge part in this story, particularly for James, so he decided to attend a MUFON conference with the Turners to get some answers and to see if they could find the mysterious woman they had seen at the last conference. Megan also attended this event, too. David was the first to go under. During the session, Barbara guided him back to the night when he, James, and Megan were at the bar, and James opened up about his experiences. He recalled coming home drunk with Megan and being drawn to the neighbor's satellite dish. Spoiler, it was not the neighbor's satellite dish. Despite Megan's urging to stop and go inside, he walked toward it like a penguin in a stiff robot-like manner, pointing at it constantly. James found himself inexplicably leaning against the car. When Barbara asked him how he returned to the car, he recalled seeing a strange shadow behind a tree, moving around quickly and making a hissing sound like a snake. Then, when Megan caught up to him and made him turn around, he heard a faint whooshing sound and felt an electrical shock at the base of his spine, which caused him to walk toward the dish again. This time, the dish was pointing down and had a pipe sticking out of the middle of it and a box on the end. Hysterical, Megan yelled and begged him to stop and go inside, but it was as if there he were in a trance. When Barbara urged him to recall if he attempted to drag Megan in the backyard, as she had claimed months prior, he responded, I'm just not me. I'm disconnected. David's not here. <sighs> Under hypnosis, Megan revealed a more sinister version of events from that night. She remembered a heat wave enveloping David and a hologram of him pulling her out of the car, pointing towards a row of plum trees. Despite seeming to be in a hurry, the davogram attempted to distract Megan from the group of beings she referred to as robots, who were trying to abduct David by pointing at the moon and stars and commenting on the sky's beauty. It then attempted to pull her to the backyard to show her some sort of thin screen. However, when James arrived home and pulled into the driveway, the entities panicked and quickly put David back in the car. Finally, it was James' turn. He requested that Barbara help him get to the bottom of that terrible recurring nightmare he kept having, in which he was lying on a table with tubes sticking out of his body. He remembered lying on a table in a white room with a row of holes in his shaved head, being worked on by shadow-like beings. 
He saw a hand touch a red light, which triggered a painful sensation in his wrist connected to a wire. He then remembered being taken to a bowl-shaped recovery room by a being who expressed sympathy for his pain, but stated that there was no other way. He felt that they were monitoring his reactions to pain. He was then instructed to walk into a hole in the wall, and he found himself in back, back in his bed. Barber suggested that his head wasn't shaved and the holes were just in his mind, like some kind of mental projection to register his fear. They didn't run into the woman at this conference, but they did run into her during Bud Hopkins' lecture that they attended. At least, she was a woman who looked like her. After the lecture, she conveniently joined them and Bud for dessert at a restaurant. They chatted for a while and found out that her name was Sandy. She was from St. Louis and was a patient of Hopkins. Like Barbara, she had experiences involving a mysterious fear, which Barbara was convinced was a repository where human souls were recycled. Convinced that they had found the woman, Carla exchanged phone numbers with her. And later, at a workshop for abductees hosted by Hopkins, Carla brought a camera to record her and show the footage to James to confirm if she was indeed his mysterious nighttime visitor. In spite of Carla's attempts to convince him, and after presenting him with the footage, James surprisingly denied that Sandy was the woman his the that the woman was his nightly visitor. Barbara believed that James's denial was a manipulative reaction rather than his choice, as she had seen several cases where abductees showed sudden personality changes during times of frequent alien contact. <sighs> Uh. Months later, Barber would put Elton under hypnosis, and his story would evolve to include underground military facilities. He was interrogated by a U.S. Army general about his involvement with aliens. A couple months later, he and James met at a bar. James warned him about an impending staged global event where the aliens would reveal themselves and present humanity with a challenge that needed to be met to ensure our, our survival. Based on information she had gathered from UFO communities, Carla speculated that aliens would make their presence known in October and November of 1992. Though aliens had previously misled people, this time was different, as hundreds of experiencers had predicted the event. Strangely, that never happened. Eventually, Carla would quit her job at North Texas University to become a full-time UFO researcher. She was spurred on by Barbara's growing caseload. In this new role, she noticed that, and she noticed what she referred to as virtual reality scenarios, or what we would call screen memories, projected into the minds of those close to her, including herself, uh, could could effectively destabilize relationships. The aliens know our deepest weaknesses and fears, and they will use those against you mercilessly. According to Barbara, quote, it was during one such episode that an alien informed Carla that she was slated for an adjustment. This marked the start of the procedure to end her life, commencing with psychological warfare, end quote. And that's where Carla Turner's death will start to become uh, a tool for 
conspiracy theorists and other deaths of other researchers, too. As her research and writing gained more attention, Turner began to receive invitations to speak at conferences and events focused on abductions. Her lectures, which were heavily focused on the negative aspects of the phenomenon, including the trauma caused by these experiences and the military's involvement, quickly gained a reputation for being controversial and provocative. She believed that aliens are deceitful, exploitative, and malevolent. The long-term effects of their physical and psychological experiments are extremely damaging. Turner was also highly critical of the government's handling of the UFO phenomenon. She firmly believed that there was a large-scale cover-up to suppress the truth about UFOs and alien encounters, and that many people who had reported such experiences were harassed or silenced by government agents. These are the conclusions she came to based on her research. Aliens can alter our perception of our surroundings. Aliens can control what we think we see. They can appear to us in any number of guises and shapes. Aliens can take us, our consciousness, out of our physical bodies, disable the controls of our bodies, install one of their own entities, and use our bodies as vehicles for their own activities before returning our consciousness to our bodies. Aliens can be present with us in an invisible state and can make themselves only partially visible. Abductees receive marks on their bodies other than the well-known scoop marks and straight line scars. These other marks include single punctures, multiple punctures, large bruises, three and four finger claw marks, and triangular and triangles of every possible sort. Female abductees often suffer serious gynecological problems after their alien encounters, and sometimes these problems lead to cysts, tumors, cancer of the breasts and uterus, and to hysterectomies. Aliens take body fluids from our necks, spines, blood veins, joints, such as knees and wrists and other places. They also inject unknown fluids into various parts of our bodies. A surprising number of abductees suffer from serious illnesses they have had before their encounters. They have led to surgery, debilitation, and even death from causes the doctors can't identify. Some abductees experience a degeneration of their mental, social, and spiritual well-being. Excessive behavior frequently erupts, such as drug abuse, alcoholism, overeating, and promiscuity. Strange obsessions develop and cause the disruption of normal life and the destruction of personal relationships. Aliens show a great interest in adult sexuality, child sexuality, and inflicting physical pain on abductees. Abductees being recalled instructed and trained by aliens. This training may be in the form of verbal or telepathic lessons, slideshows, or actual hands-on instruction in the operation of alien technology. Abductees report being taken to facilities where they encounter not only aliens, but also normal-looking humans, sometimes in military uniforms, working with alien captors. Abductees often encounter more than one sort of alien during an experience, not just the greys. Every possible combination of grey, reptoid, insectoid, blonde, and widow's peaks have been seen during single abductions, aboard the same craft or in the same facility.
abductees, quote unquote, virgin cases, report being taken to underground facilities where they see grotesque hybrid creatures, nurseries of hybrid humanoid fetuses, and vats of colored liquid filled with parts of human bodies. Abductees report seeing other humans in these facilities being drained of blood, being mutilated, flayed, and dismembered, and being stacked, lifeless, like cords of wood. Some abductees have been threatened that they, too, will end up in this condition if they don't cooperate with their alien captors. Aliens come into homes and temporarily remove young children, leaving their distraught parents paralyzed and helpless. In cases where a parent has been able to protest, the aliens insist, the children belong to us. Aliens have forced their human abductees to have sexual intercourse with aliens and even with other abductees while groups of aliens observe these performances. In such encounters, the aliens have sometimes disguised themselves in order to gain the cooperation of the abductee, appearing in such forms as Jesus, the Pope, certain celebrities, and even the dead spouses of the abductees. Children abductees sometimes show a new and obsessive interest in their own genitalia after alien encounters, saying that their abductors who come at night have been touching these parts of their body. Jesus fucking Christ. <sighs> Aliens perform extremely painful experiments or procedures on abductees, saying that these acts are necessary but giving no explanation why. Abductees' eyes are painfully removed from their sockets, allowing the aliens to scrape the area or implant devices into the area before the eyeballs are replaced, for instance. Some abductees are subjected to painful constrictions, often around the head, chest, and extremities. Painful genitalia and anal probes are performed on children as well as adults. Aliens make predictions on imminent periods of global chaos and destruction. They say that a certain number of humans, and the number varies dramatically from case to case, will be rescued from the planet in order to continue the species, either on another planet or back on Earth after the destruction is over. Many abductees report that they don't believe their alien captors and foresee instead a much more sinister use of the rescued humans. She was extremely critical of researchers who argued that hypnosis can lead to false memories and that the multiple levels of experience that can be accessed through hypnosis are artifacts of the process. She called that armchair research because it was not based on actual experience with the phenomenon. Carla suggested that there are both good and bad hypnotists and that the accuracy of the memories recalled through hypnosis depended on the skills and ethics of the hypnotist. While some erroneous material may surface during hypnosis, she believed that hypnosis is an excellent tool for uncovering information that may not be accessible through conscious memory, and she claimed to have tested hypnotically uh, recalled memories against external evidence and found them to be accurate. Yeah. Her first book, Into the Fringe, which chronicles her experiences with UFOs and alien encounters, as well as those of her family members and everyone she ever came across, was published in 1992 and became a hit in the UFO community, and it's been the main source for this particular episode. She followed with Taken, 1994, 
in which she shares the abduction experiences of four women and points out the commonalities. Finally, in the same year, she released her magnum opus, Masquerade of Angels, about medium psychic Ted Rice, a lifelong experiencer who claims that the aliens are cloning and murdering human abductees and using their clones as replacements. They plan to use the Earth as a farming planet, leaving a small number of survivors to repopulate. He also believes that the Dulce underground base is a human meatpacking plant run by them, which could be where Arby's meat comes from. You don't know. Question where that meat comes from, people. Uh, If you'd like to know more about Ted, uh, the Nonsense Bazaar did a fantastic episode on him. You should all check it out. Shout out to Willow and Sequoia. Uh, We'll put a link in the show notes for that particular episode. It's uh, episode 51. In 1995, Carla started an online discussion group where she exchanged uh, with a handful of fellow experiencers on specific topics related to the abduction phenomenon. Uh, Despite her inclination towards the ominous and the sinister, she showed a great interest in New Age beliefs and the spiritual aspect of extraterrestrial experiences, as well as parallels with fairy encounters. Furthermore, she appeared to be firmly convinced that the phenomenon was caused by entities from other dimensions rather than space visitors. Unfortunately, she didn't get to delve into those venues with great depth. Carla died of breast cancer in 1996. Despite Elton being clear about her prior struggle with cancer before entering the UFO field, Individuals within the UFO community began promoting the idea that the government was responsible for her death because she got too close to the truth. Many people in the community firmly believe this to be the case to this very day. In an interview she gave in 2007, Barbara claimed that Carla called her as soon as she came back from a cancer specialist for an emergency visit. She woke up that day with a spectacular, perfectly embossed symbol imprinted on her liver the size of a 50-cent piece. When the doctor, who knew nothing about her involvement with aliens, examined her, she allegedly exclaimed, You must have had a visitation by aliens because there is no human doctor or medical facility that could ever initiate a situation like this. No medical technology could create that impression on a human body. The blood had been excised from this area so perfectly, the doctor said that nothing we have in medical science could extract the blood and create these perfect angles. Her friend Jacques Vallée advised caution when evaluating psychic messages. As a result, Barbara typically paid little attention to them. However, something unusual occurred a few months after Carla's passing. On a particular night, her sleep was disrupted by the sorrowful realization that she would never hear Carla's enthusiastic voice again. Barbara woke up at 7 a.m. on March 19, 1996, startled by a loud explosion. A transformer nearby had blown up, causing a widespread power outage. As a result, all electrical clocks, including her battery-powered grandfather clock, stopped working. Later that evening... Barbara received a call from psychic Joan Miller, who had worked with the Atlanta Police Department on occasion. Miller had only seen Carla once during a lecture in Atlanta. On March 19th, Miller went to the store and was overwhelmed with Carla's presence upon returning to her car 
urging her to call Barbara Botholic immediately. The following is the message she received from the psychic. The malfunction of your clock is the signal to you that I am present. Must present facts. Must keep up work. Don't stop because of fear. Fear is their power. Not finished fighting. We'll help from the other side. There are good forces there. If you do not speak out, you are all accomplices. Death is not an end. I will watch over you. You are a witness to a crime. I love you. On November 29th, 2009, Barbara and her husband, Bob, were involved in a fatal hit and run. Bob died of his injuries on Christmas Day. In an interview she gave to a Tulsa news station, she claimed that the man responsible was manipulated to create that death. She died of a stroke a year later, on December 20th, at the age of 71. Some people in the UFO field believe she too was murdered because of her research. It's inconceivable that a 71-year-old workaholic who had miraculously survived a car crash the previous year would pass away due to a stroke. For many, Dr. Carla Turner was a martyr, a champion of truth lost on their noble quest. A shining light, forever remembered as a saint in the UFO community. Her name forever etched among the giants in the annals of alien abduction research, alongside Bud Hopkins, Ray Fowler, John Mack, and everyone's favorite pervert, David Jacobs. She worked with over 400 people who claimed to be abducted by aliens during her short career as a researcher. While she probably did more harm than good in the grand scheme of things, her unique approach stood out among other researchers who often saw these individuals as just experiments or a means of profit. Instead, she truly empathized with these people and believed in the importance of sharing their stories and providing them with the necessary support to cope with the trauma. For Elton, she was more than that. Quote, she also wrote poetry that was direct and sweet. She lived in England for a year and in India for some time, too, and she loved them both. She penned a detailed and delightful but unpublished novel about the life of a Celtic woman. She created stained glass art panels that were detailed and beautiful, depictions of Arkansas hills, rivers, and lakes she loved so much. She drew funny and heartwarming birthday cards for her family members. She taught high school and university English classes for years. Her students loved her and did well because of her teaching. And she was a supporter of the North Texas Food Bank, where she volunteered for a long time. She is missed by us all. End quote. Special thanks to Jeff Demers for putting in all the research and writing on this episode. Um, I seriously worry about his mental health, though. Love you, dude. <laughs> you can find the Our Strange Skies podcast on most podcasting apps. If you want to follow us on social media, buy some merch, or find the link to our Patreon page, head on over to OurStrangeSkies.com. I have a P.O. Box if you want to send me stuff. It's P.O. Box 1377, Tupper Lake, New York, 12986. You can check out Welcome UFO People, the webcomic that Todd Purse and I make, on Instagram at Welcome UFO People, and Twitter at Welcome UFO Peeps. We also have high-res images available on our Patreon pages. And the website is coming. If it hasn't already appeared, I it, it's tough. 
Todd's working on it though. Um, and if he worked on it, maybe it's in the link into the show notes. Just check it out. I'm recording this a little ahead of time. Our Strange Skies is a production of DV Media. Special thanks to Flos for the use of their song UFO as the theme for this podcast. Spencer Ruth Davis is the man behind the curtain. Our logo was designed by Megan Lagerberg, and the great Desdemona is behind many of our t-shirt designs. And finally, don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or following an assignment in your English class. In gray, we trust. Yeah.